week on Nurturing Wellbeing with Kurt Kelly, I have a special national guest. Gentleman is a uh, recognized leader uh, in the child welfare social services arena, Dr. Charles Monterio Archer. Dr. Archer is the uh, CEO and president of One Hope United a national organization with a national footprint that deals in child welfare. But he also happens to be my board chair here at the Florida Coalition. And we get an opportunity to talk about what it means for not-for-profit organizations, not-for-profit businesses, what it means for us to be a strong and viable and vibrant organization to be able to support the work that we do. I think you're going to enjoy this episode of Nurturing Wellbeing with Kurt Kelly. Welcome, Charles. We're glad to have you here. First of all, thank you for coming in. Thank I know you for you, having me. You yeah. came in here for our rally in Tally, and that's been been exciting. Been over at the Capitol doing a lot of work. The coalition focuses a lot on things going on in Florida, and we're going to come to that. But I would really appreciate your perspective on what's happening as you see it in the child welfare social services arena nationally. Thank you so much, Kurt, for having me. Let me just tell you, One Hope United is glad to be a part of the work that the coalition is doing. We're glad to work with you. Um, One Hope United is a 128-year-old not-for-profit. Okay. We started out as an orphanage in Downers, Illinois, Downers Grove, Illinois. And since that time has really thought about how we want to make an imprint in not just Illinois, Florida, and Missouri, but how we think about the national conversation. So I really appreciate that question. For us, we think that when we talk about foster care and adoption, the national numbers require that the conversation is broader. When we hear that there's at least 60,000 kids in the last five years who have come back into the system of care, that's a national concern. We can think about things locally from where our central office are, where our programs are, but if we're not thinking about how we are either perpetuating the system trying to change a system or try to evolve a system, then I think that that's where the national conversation comes in. You also think about the issue around transitional living. We have youth who are in care who become 21 and we want them to be productive uh, citizens within society. That also means that we got to think about the policies that we've already have in place to ensure that they're going to be able to thrive once they leave. This is a really serious um, conversation, even, even when you think about childcare and early education. We know that the governor here and the first lady here in Florida are concerned about children. That also equally means that we also must be talking about this in the other 49 states. The uniqueness and the, the large scope that we look at, you know, we had a, a national intention to kind of get America to really learn a lot from great models like Florida. Now, I can have a conversation that they do it right, but they put together a, a national piece of legislation called FFPSA, Family First Preservation Services Act. And the real intention of that act was to try to move people upstream to keep children and families together so that they do not come into the deep end of the services, the more expensive services, and no matter how you look at it, they're traumatized. Mm -hmm. And so we were supportive of that. But Unfortunately, what Florida had done, we had a we had a very good waiver that was done that allowed us to actually move dollars around to where it was needed and to use it for prevention. And of course, when the federal government comes in, they cannot just do it like Florida. 
And I remember talking with them about that. And I said, well, you may be setting us back a little bit. I think we've done a pretty good job of modifying some of the possible negative effects and so forth. But just looking at it from, again, from, a, from your outside perspective, but then you also have a big footprint here in Florida. Let's just do some comparison. What do you see that maybe Florida's doing right and some ways, some things maybe we can learn from from other areas? I think, you know, when you think about the purpose behind that act and the act purpose was really about permanency and prevention. Correct. And those are the things that we've heard earlier today from the secretary, Secretary Harris of DCF around the numbers that Florida is doing to improve permanency and prevention. And I think that's kind of also a part of this national platform that we need to be thinking about is what are we doing to prevent kids from coming into care? And what are we doing to ensure that if they're in care, they're going back to their homes and finding permanency? The secretary mentioned this morning, and we know these figures, that we're at a 19-year low mm -hmm. in kids being removed. So there's something right going on. And that's a that's a cooperation with the government that has the, what I would use the term police powers. They, they have the authoritative aspect to remove children out of their homes for safety's sake and to put them into our system of care. I like the fact that they have resisted the temptation of doing that uh, overtly, that they have tried to be be very clear that that child really has to be removed. But if not, let's go surround them with good services. No, that's your heart. And I know that's your organization. Yes, heart. yes, very much so. Uh, you know, my my team, my cabinet, all of the executives, including the board of directors, are really focused on this continuum of care. We don't want to just reach into a family, reach into a child's life and help them from one particular aspect. We have to think about how do we build all the natural supports that they have, but then bring in additional supports to ensure that not only is the child going to thrive, but actually the family is going to thrive also. That's awesome. I get calls all the time from other states saying, we want to come look at what your guys are doing. And we're like, we set them up. We set them up for to come in and meet with our providers, our lead agencies. Is there anything that you've seen from an external perspective that you could say, yeah, I think other other people could learn from Florida in that? I can tell you one thing, particularly because we're also dealing with this issue in Illinois, but Florida has been, you know, the FCC and the provider community and the CBCs have been really thinking about this very differently. And that's the issue of indemnification. And that's something that I honestly believe that Florida is paying a great deal of attention on how do we solve it. And I think what I've enjoyed about being the chair of FCC is that that discussion is not something that people shy away from. People walk right into the door and say, hey, this is what we need. This is what we believe. And that conversation with all the other um, state agencies is something that I think most states and other provider associations around the country could really value about how you're thinking about it. And I do believe that Florida might solve it faster than some other people that uh, we've been talking to. So this week we had a conversation and today I will be going over having a meeting with the, with the legislator that is sponsoring a piece of legislation. We're talking about this. Florida, over the last uh, 20 years, mm -hmm. I go 20 years, Jeb Bush was really a champion for this to say we want to uh, we want to treat the business community properly in Florida. We want to create an environment where the business community can thrive and create jobs and provide good services and all of those things. And, and we fully agree with that. 
uh, Ron DeSantis comes in, says he's going to try to keep Florida open for business. And that's a sort of a, so it, it, there's a, there's an expectation of business friendly. Now included in that counselor uh, <laughs> is, is the fact that, uh, that if you have an over litigious society, in other words, where every business is turning around and they're worried about being sued and maybe sued out of existence, or they're spending all their time dealing with lawsuits, then that's not a friendly environment. And Florida did a lot of good things in that area. But I have to say that in the not-for-profit businesses, and we are businesses. Thank you for saying that. You are a business. <laughs> Thank you for saying you that. You have budgets. You have responsibilities. You got to make. And we have labor issues. We have everything else. Everyone everything else. Everything else. You, yeah, you got to make sure you have your workforce in mm -hmm, place. Mm -hmm. You got to have your next generation of leaders coming along. You've got to make sure that you're even in part of your business roles. You have to work in the regulatory aspect, dealing with all the regulations. And I would say that in the last 10 to 15 years, Florida's kind of taken a back step in that area. And so we have been having some serious conversations with a lot of members um, and a lot of players. Listen, when bad things happen and something that should not have happened, then we have the courts and we have torts that allow for that. And we, I, I, do, I never want to say I don't believe in that. But what I do believe in is that we have to have the right environment for not-for-profit organizations, businesses to survive. And uh, yes, that is an intention of ours is to, to look at this. I Frankly, in our world, in the child welfare world, Florida really only has two organizations that will underwrite our insurance. Well, that makes competition uh, go away. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden they can ask you, they can ask any price and you got to pay it. And so those are areas that we're working on. I do believe this is a problem nationally. I think the, the one thing that, you know, there's a whole bunch of uh, good points in what you just said. And one of those things is starting with the fact that we need states and government and leadership and elected elected to understand that we are businesses. Because in those conversations where we talk about Florida keeping it open for business, no one ever mentions the not-for-profit community. And I think uh, a huge part about this, and, and I know this from my work in New York all the way to D.C., is that the nonprofit community are really holding um, uh, sustaining communities. If you go around this country, any major city, and you go to any of the boroughs or the, the, the geographic areas, the not-for-profit community is providing jobs, providing opportunities, and really trying to solve local issues. And the human services issues. Absolutely. So I, I, somebody asked me, well, how come our lead agencies, our providers, how come they're not going to be for-profit? Because there's no profit in mm -hmm. it. Uh, our profit, as it was said by the senator this morning, is investing in the lives. Our our money, our product, if you will, is taking a life that would be on a path toward jail, prison, drug addictions, all of these things that are very costly, it's lifting them out of that and changing their lives. We're not products right. as most businesses are. We are people and our people are our resources. And we count strategic outcomes, not necessarily in a quantitative manner, but more in a qualitative manner. What quality of life are we improving for people? Not just those that we serve, but equally those that we employ and hire and carry our missions forward. So folks, I would tell you as we're having this interview, and you can say he and I could talk all, all day, day about this, <laughs> and we do. But let me, let me say this. So as he runs a national organization, you use the word that strategic engagement. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things, Charles is the chair of our Florida Coalition for Children. Very much appreciate uh, both wisdom, 
uh, and is his intention to bring the right processes in place, not just for me and my organization, but for our organizations, all of the different folks as we all interact. This this, this association work is an interesting type of it work. Is, very so you got to pull it all together. <laughs> you said that your organization, and I want you to talk about it and then come back and talk about a little bit about ours, but you talked about you're doing a strategic plan. Let's give the world a little bit of understanding when we talk about not-for-profit organizations, when they build their models, they use the same type of modeling process as any, any business. They're a business. Mm-hmm. Talk about a little bit about From One Hope, and then, then maybe we can talk about the coalition. Let, let me start, and I, I thank you for that question, but let me start with thanking my board of directors sure. and all nonprofit board of directors because they're volunteer boards of people who are committed, and the One Hope United uh, board of directors led by great uh, chairman right now, Anthony Austin, and a bunch of other chairmen, uh, chairwomen in the past as well, have really dived into this thought of how do we need to think about the future? It's not just a document about a plan. It's also a thought process on what we're thinking about. So One Hope United has um, been working with our uh, executive leadership as well as other Hope members around what are our priorities. So our Priorities include how do we always provide comprehensive and quality services? How do we decide on what we're going to do for innovation? How do we build culture? How do we be brand awareness and acknowledgement? How do we also look at research? Because I think that's one of the things that the coalition will definitely dive into, but also One Hope United is thinking about how do we look at data in order to inform how we might go out and advocate? And I think that part of what I've been doing at One Hope has really been an exciting part for me as chair at the FCC, because we equally have strategic priorities about better relationships with state agencies. How do we look at legislative advocacy? How do we support the community from where they are? And how do we continue to do the work that we do positively? I am glad that we're thinking about those things because as you said, just like any other business, we must have strategy a part of this process. And I wanna share that I believe the fundamental difference between the work that these not-for-profit organizations, strong businesses, great boards, mm-hmm. boards that come from all different walks of life, great business people that are coming, bringing their experience, their time, their effort, a lot of times their money. Yep. They're involved in all of this. And what they're telling us as we're, develop, as we're developing sort of leadership vision is uh, where the innovation needs to be, where the creativity needs to be. If we're doing things the same old way that we did 20 years ago. No business survives like that. And so it's important to have the, have the, the, the foundation of the past, but have the vision for the future. But I can tell you what you have brought to the coalition under your charge, and you took this on at a special time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have really been a driver. I've I've given you my most uh, powerful uh, employee, Doctor <laughs> Doctor Nellius, who I'm absolutely head over heels. Like I think she's fantastic. Listen, she's she makes she actually makes me look good. She's I mean, fantastic. She is, she's smart. Kurt, yes. She's brilliant. And what we what I do is I I have her working in these areas as we can all come together. But where I what I like is. This is not going to be a document that's going to get stuck on a shelf. No, 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 no. Any corporation that builds a strategic plan and it goes on a shelf, uh, you're not going to have that CEO long, long, very long, or you're not going to have that company going to be on the leaderboard very long. One thing that I'm doing at One Hope, but equally working with you and the board to do here at FCC is what are the metrics that we're going to monitor? For me personally, with the strategic plan that we'll have at One Hope United, 
all of my board reports, all of my CEO engagement, all of my outreach to the HOPE members will be along these five strategic priorities because that's how it continues to live. One other thing I thought you you mentioned earlier that I just want to add into is that the importance of lived experience for innovation. Because, you know, I can talk with on my own team, my own executive um, C-suite, there's a a few members who have lived experience. And that lived experience is is what led to us developing what we're now doing here in Florida for innovation around therapeutic foster homes. Smaller homes with house parents and all the wraparound services, which innovation only comes from people who possibly have been in those situations. I have two staff members Mm -hmm. that have come through the system. Mm -hmm. And both of them are brilliant and they are, and, and one of them I mentioned that I saw her in a committee meeting one time and uh, it was a very intense committee meeting. And um, I, I, the, the way the camera angle shot, she was sitting, the person was speaking and she was sitting there and I could see her on camera. I didn't, I didn't go over to the committee. I was just watching it on TV and I could see a big tear start coming down her face. And I texted her. I said, what's going on? And she says, I can smell the room one of the traumas that she had when she was a four-year-old. And uh, I said, you need to come home. You need to come on, come on back to the office, come on back to the office. We forget that this, this work we do is dealing with the unbelievable pain and trauma. That's a lifetime trauma. Doesn't mean they have to live there. We can spend a lot of time working with that. But when we get those individuals infusing into us about starting to build innovation and creativity and new policy and new actions and, and getting our, and putting resources to the right place, that's when it's special. And uh, I think the beauty of what I get to do here, Charles, is I get to work with so many great leaders that are doing this all day long. I take it personally when I see some of our leaders uh, struggling because of either funding or poor policy or even over-regulations and or not understanding what's happening in the culture. We've got some issues that are taking place now that this child welfare arena is more dangerous than it was. You think about this whole national conversation that we keep having here is, you know, when we think about across the country, not-for-profits shouldn't be paid 90 cents on the dollar to do the work. That is a conversation that has to continue to happen from the federal to the state about how do we fund the services that we provide? Because as much as we can do all the strategy, we can have people who are literally talking to us about innovation. We're also going to need all the resources to be able to move the needle in the way that Florida has been doing and the way that a lot of the provider community has been doing as well. Here you are with your vast education, PhD. Mm -hmm. You are also have a law degree. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you're, you're educated well beyond my intelligence. <laughs> and I mean, you have all of this experience, you have corporate world experience, yet you've chosen to involve yourself into this world. And I'm reminding folks that if we're going to have a system that changes the lives of people who are hurting at a, at a, just at a granular level, and we're going to change that. We've got to have great leaders. One of the things that definitely, thank you for the compliment. I definitely uh, wholeheartedly appreciate it. But I think that part of that also is for me, and I do know it for a lot of providers here in Florida, as well as around the country, especially my work in New York and in uh, Illinois, a, a lot of us see ourselves in the work we do. A lot of us come from communities that have struggled and have had to find other opportunities in order to develop and grow. And that's what I carry into this work. And it's really... 
it's touching to me when you make a difference. And half the time and majority of the time, us leaders and CEOs, it's not about the thank you. It's not about even the acknowledgement. It's about the satisfaction that what we did today made a difference. And for us to remember that we bring the next generation of leaders along and invest in them and, de- and developing them. I've watched what you've done. And I believe you've done a lot personally. And in your investment, you're on the, you live in airplanes, don't you? Brother? You're flying. You're, you're always going <laughs> and leading by, by being out there in front of folks. Anything that you would like to just sort of close us with? I can talk to different demographics. I want those who work in our sector to know that there are people who are advocating for them on a regular basis. We believe in the work they do and we want to get them to a place where they feel comfortable. I want those who are being served to understand that we do this work tirelessly to ensure that your lives are better and improved. I want legislators to think about the fact of what policies are being put in place in order for us to carry this work in a different direction. We can talk about moving the needle, but if we're not doing anything to move the needle, we're just having simple conversations. And then I want to also just talk to the community and and let people know who have space and have opportunity to give back that your local not-for-profit needs you. Your local not-for-profit needs your voice, they need your time, they need your energy, they need your access. And I think what people fail to realize is all of us have something to offer. We just need you to figure out what you can offer to mission-driven and mission-building work. Last night, we had an event. It was called Dream Tank. Mm -hmm. We got to hear from five folks that had aged out of uh, foster care, but still had people investing in their lives. And they're doing a program, what their dreams are. It was a brilliant idea and uh, just love selfless love for what they did. I'm going to tell you, all I could do is I, I, I didn't want to, I wanted to be in the moment as they were talking, but I wanted to listen to their heart. I wanted to hear those dreams. Everyone has that. I think what we do, what our world does is reach down and say, you're not without hope. We see you, we acknowledge you, we affirm you. And I think those are the things that those kids from yesterday, I hope they felt that in the room because we were so excited to hear what they had to say. And One Hope United is the perfect title. Thank you very much. You do a great work. I appreciate you, brother. And I appreciate all that you're doing. I look forward to continuing to work with you. And thank you guys for joining us here on Nurturing Wellbeing with Kurt Kelly.